flags in 100 years. The shithouse, if you think we'll be insightful, clever or just well researched. We're here to say that's not the case, we'll just go out and wing it. We are two guys, one car. It is Wednesday, August the 2nd. Charlie's looking at me like, are you about to fuck up the intro? I'm not, but I'm going to have to redo it. And the reason is that I realized at the last moment I had not done one of the things we're meant to do when we start the podcast, which is me turn my headphones down so that my headphone noise doesn't come through in the recording. And just as I was about to intro the recording, I went to go, oh, I've got to do this at the same time, not realizing that I could have just stopped because I'm the person who's doing the intro. So there was no need for me to kind of sneak doing the headphone turned down as I was talking I could have just done that then started talking and not done any of this anyway it is Wednesday August the 2nd welcome to two guys one cup an AFL podcast my name's Will Anderson and I'm Charlie Clawson and I'd also say that this is not a live broadcast so you could have stopped at any time you could have literally paused but I like the way that you you treat it like a high wire act you're like no no all the balls are in the air now got to keep going I mean, I think there are some people who just tune in. It's like the bounce. You know, that's the thing. Like the start of this game, (laughs) the start of this podcast, my intro is much like the bounce. Sometimes I have to recall it and I have to just throw it up afterwards. Sometimes it just works like that, but we still want to keep it in the game. I Sorry, when you said the bounce, I thought you meant the Jason Dunstall, Danny Frawley (laughs) show, which, as you know, I'm a huge fan of this. I I caught up with uh, Michael Chamberlain from Junk Time Pod uh, on the weekend and I was saying to Michael, you're a comedian. Tell me how this transition, Jason Dunstall and Danny Frawley, how have they gone from being ex-AFL footballers to being the AFL's Laurel and Hardy? Because I watched their pre-videoed sketches where they'll, you know, they'll normally go out and do some kind of challenge like ice skating or gymnastics or something. And it is like resources are going to this. <laughs> this is what I love is that resources are going to this. There are how many like excellent comedians are there in Australia who – don't get enough exposure, don't get enough work. How many excellent comedians are there who have an interest in football who don't get enough work, yet we get subjected to this, the comedic stylings of Frawley and Dunstall? It is one of those things, isn't it, where I always think about this because when I was playing junior football, I was a reasonable enough junior footballer. Like some people who I was kind of around the same level as got drafted. Um, As I've mentioned previously, it was mostly because I was the same height I am now when I was 11 years old. I grew a lot (laughs) and I was a monster and then I never grew again. And it turned out I wasn't actually that good at footy. I was just good at being (laughs) taller than the other kids for a while. But so basically, um, but there was a possibility and I kind of think about it as that alternative universe sort of thing. Imagine there had been a universe where I had pursued my AFL, you know, career and I don't think I would have been, so, so my, say my cousin Stuart Anderson, right? We played a lot of junior football together and he ended up playing over like a hundred AFL games and played in a premiership at North Melbourne. So let's just say, just for the sake of... Oh, pause, pause, hang on. How's it taken us this many episodes to find out... That your cousin was potentially shin boner of the century. <laughs> over 100 games for North Melbourne. Yeah, I reckon he played over 100 for North Melbourne. He would have played over 100 in his career. He played at Frio for a bit as well. But um, in, the, in the premiership era of North Melbourne? Yeah, he played in a premiership at North Melbourne. 
how the fuck is it taking us? We've been, we've had a North Melbourne riff going all year, and you just now, when there's like four rounds to go at the home and away season, decide to let us know that your cousin just happened to play in a premiership team in probably one of their greatest premiership teams in North Melbourne's history. Well, what happened? Why do we know this? Actually, this is a good point. It's weird that I haven't ever yeah. brought it up. <laughs> we literally talked about what players could we put on the shinbone spirit of Tasmania and you have a direct link to a premiership player you could have like helped your cousin out with a couple of extra bucks I don't know what he's doing post football but I'm sure he would have liked his his cousin to give him a bit of a leg up a bit of nepotism you know what that is a very good point actually and look I've got to be honest with you I don't know why I've been covering it up I don't know for me whether it was a case of jealousy maybe I have some hidden jealousy and I didn't want him to, him to get suddenly all the attention and people to be like oh well there was clearly a much better footballer in the family maybe maybe there's a little bit of shame there or maybe it's just because he went to Frio and I consider himself a Frio player in my heart or maybe it was just you didn't want an Anderson in the family who actually knows something about football <laughs> uh, okay here we go um, I've looked him up on Wikipedia uh, so <laughs> uh Stuart Anderson, born uh, 27th of June, 1974. So I was like uh, six months older than he is. Um, is an Australian rules footballer. He comes from the Victorian town of Sale. Uh, in 1994, he was drafted by North Melbourne, where he played 61 games as a midfielder half forward, including the 1996 Premiership. At the end of 1997, he was traded to the Fremantle Dockers in return for Winston Abraham. Oh wow! <laughs> That's actually so. They must have rated him pretty highly if he because Winston Abraham was a pretty highly rated footballer. Yeah, and I think from memory, I think he got like a, a bit of money to go over there. But it says this is unfair. Wikipedia: His <laughs> career declined after the move west, only managing to play nine games in 1998 for the Dockers. After failing to be selected in the league team at the beginning of the 1999 season, Anderson left the Fremantle Football Club mid-year. There you go. Oh, here we go. At Fremantle, I did not know this. Sorry, here's, I'm finding out a bit of information from Wikipedia here as well. At Fremantle, Anderson is most remembered for the fight he had with Tony Modra over the number six <laughs> Guernsey. When, oh, my God. When Modra arrived from the Adelaide Crows at the beginning of the 1999 season. See, I'd even forgotten that Modra went to Fremantle, right? Um at the beginning of the 1999 season, the glamour superstar full forward wanted to remain in the number six uh, Guernsey that he'd worn with great success throughout his junior and senior days. In the end, Modra gave Anderson... Oh, okay. All right. Now, I'm going to let you guess what he gave him. So basically what they've come down to is like, uh, you know what? If I, he's going to give me the number six, I've got to give him something in return of value. So what do you think was a value? What sort of value do you think having that right number was worth to Tony Modra? So is it, uh, it's not just an, a different number in exchange. Is it like um, the locker room closest to the showers? Oh, no. It, uh, the locker closest to the showers. Here's what I'll tell you. No? It's, it's yeah. a dollar amount worth of something. Oh, shit. Okay. So you gave him like a thousand bucks worth of beer. <laughs> Yeah, so that's a really good example, but that's not correct. But you've you've got the form of the game we're playing now. So get to the dollar okay. amount and what it was. Well, I mean, knowing 
Tony Modra and knowing the kind of player that Tony Modra was. And from what I understand, you know, he was a country boy who had a pretty good time. Didn't mind going to Frio because it meant he could just like surf and play footy and go out to the Perth nightclubs. Wasn't a thousand dollars worth of drink cards. <laughs> okay, firstly, you're giving Tony Modra too much credit, it turns out, for how much he was willing to spend for his number. Or maybe okay. Stuart was a bit desperate for cash. I'm not really sure. But it was a lower do- dollar figure. Five, okay, so uh, let's play a bit of um, Larry Emder, higher, yep. lower. 500. Lower. 400. Lower. 300. Lower. 200. $200 worth of what? Uh, would it be like a voucher for Rebel Sports, like socks or something like I'm, that? I'm, I'm going to give you that. It was $200 worth of clothing, apparently. <laughs> what? This is in Wikipedia? It's in Wikipedia. I mean, sure, there was one paragraph about him playing in a premiership with one of the greatest teams we've ever taken to the field for North Melbourne, but there's two paragraphs about the deal, the backroom deal he did with Tony Modger for the number six. Okay, well, so I guess this is my point. With absolutely no disrespect to Stuart's, like, fine career, like he was a, you know, really brilliant junior footballer. So imagine if this had been me. This is the scenario that it's turned out to be, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Say I managed to play as many games as Stuart played. So I played like 60 for a a club, but I managed to be in a premiership for that club. And I maybe went and played for another team and played another 10 games, right? So that's the sort of level of player I am in the game. But I still wanted to be like in comedy. I wanted to do like basically, you know, I wanted to be the spud of that scenario and kind of parlay my football into comedy. Is that a big enough career for me to become the like the comedy football guy? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Yeah? I think you'd only need to... Yeah, I think you'd... Simon O'Donnell played like 10 games of AFL, yet managed to... And had more games as a cricketer, but still managed to be a football identity. I think... I mean, there's people who... who, uh, that, That would be more than enough. In fact, I think that's... Over 50 games is enough for you to walk between two worlds. You could be called upon for your insightful football commentary and your reflections on what it takes to win a flag but also to make some gags about chicken swallowing cocks whenever you're at a sportsman. <laughs> the piece of material they ha- the AFL Players Association hand every player upon retirement. They go, and here's your gear you'll need for the sportsman's nights. Uh, that's cool. I had no idea. I've I've had no relatives uh, who played AFL. Oh, apart from my mother's maiden name is Jezelenko, but it's probably not worth bringing up. <laughs> uh, no, there were there, there were no there were no uh, there were no there there has never been and there probably never will be any Clausens uh, to play AFL. Uh, well, can I ask you this, Charlie? Did you actually see any football on the weekend? Because last week uh, we were a little uh, look. There was a little lambasting online about the fact that we hadn't seen any of the games of football, uh, and you know we talked about the fact that it'd be good to see you know Josh Kennedy back soon when you know he'd been back for eight weeks and kicked ninety goals. <laughs> I know. I got that message. He actually was one of the best on ground. The game he didn't play in, he kicked six goals against Collingwood. We were like, oh, he didn't play. <laughs> and, and here's the thing, Charlie. He's our favourite West Coast player. This is, yeah. this is how little attention yeah. we're playing to West Coast. 
Like, we should be... Oh, here's the thing. What's going on at West Coast? Can we talk about West Coast just for a second? Because, yeah, like, you know, Matt Prittis, you know, he's suddenly... You know, he's decided that he's retiring. And then Sam Mitchell, he's uh, come out and he's retiring. And what's going on? What's going on at West Coast? Like, have they... Because they could still make the finals, but it feels like they're really... Like, they're already, like, moving on to next year. They're in flux. They, you know, they remind me a little bit of... Remember Adelaide in the Neil Craig era, the Crobots era? They were always thereabouts, but you never really got the sense that they were going to win a flag. And I kind of feel like that's where West Coast are. Like, you sort of see they've got enough talent, sheer talent to be thereabouts, but there's something there's something lacking and i don't know what it is i don't know if it's personnel i don't know if it's coaching but everyone feels a bit uninspired by the eagles at the moment right but here's the thing that i find just a bit weird is they can still make the finals this year in fact they'd still be a really good chance of making the finals this year but it already feels like they're moving on to next year like you know with all the retirements and stuff like that you know what it feels like it feels like someone knows they're going to break up with their girlfriend so they start going to the gym again but before that relationship's ended just to get back in like fighting fit shape by the time they have to be single and out there they're like oh well i might as well use these next four or six weeks to you know get like i'll get back on tinder i'll get some nice shots i'll be be ready when this breaks up i'll be ready and you know and the other partner's like well i thought we were gonna try to work this out (laughs) Do you think Sam Mitchell um, would have done better to have waited till next week to announce the retirement, considering that this week was mainly about Rui? Yeah, I mean, I thought it was... Like, I mean, the weird thing about the Sam Mitchell one was that I think last week when, uh, you know, it came out that there was going to be a West Coast player who was uh, retiring, everybody thought it was Sam Mitchell. So they wrote all these articles about how Sam Mitchell was going to retire. And then it was Prittis. And then for a week... I just noticed there'd be these articles about going, Sam Mitchell, probably going to announce his retirement anytime now. So I feel like it had been like in the works for like a week and a half. Well, it's funny because all the journalists that felt like spent all their ink writing these, you know, deservedly glowing uh, retrospectives on Nick Revolt's career. So by the time they got to Sam Mitchell, they felt a bit more like, I don't know, sort of like uh, opinion pieces, more like investigative, like let's get to the heart of who Sam Mitchell is, this ruthless, cold-blooded. It's like, wow, did you use all your superlatives on Nick Revolt? Now you feel like you have to mind the darker side of football? I mean, it, I, it is interesting people's reaction. to, And look, I've certainly been one of those people as well. And I think a lot of football fans have had this relationship with Sam Mitchell, which has been, he was one of those players that was just really easy to hate. There was just something about him. And particularly because... Like, you know, Hodgie was there as well. Like, you're like, don't be more like Hodgie. Like, even the team, like, even when he got replaced as captain, like, the whole football community was like, yeah, now nah, we all agree with that. Yeah, you picked the better one now. Like, you know, and and I think it was mostly sort of unfair. Like, I know he kind of, you know, he can, on the field, he can, you know, he plays it pretty hard and you know, pretty vicious and you can be accused of like, you know, dropping his knees into, you know, people's legs and giving him a corky and stuff like that. Like he's, you know, he was the guy who, you know, made the injection, you know, remember he did the injection thing to the Essendon players. Like he's got a mean as fuck streak, like, you know, Sam Mitchell, but he's also a brilliant footballer in the mold of like Diesel Williams. One of those guys who, you know, when he has the ball in his hand and like I was watching Bontempelli the other night and it's that similar thing of going, the minute they get it, they just give it to someone who's in a much better position. They just make other players in the game 
look better. And you can see that's what Hawthorne missed the most when he was immediately gone that they've readjusted to now. So it's funny though, like apparently in the Western Australian, in the newspaper over there, like literally one of the comments was, well, there's a reason the saber-toothed tiger didn't uh, is extinct, but cockroaches are still here. And that's what Sam Mitchell's like. And you're like, what? <laughs> you know, the common cold passes quickly, but herpes stays with you for life. And Robbo's one was a bit like that as well. It was, you know, it was just a bit along the lines of Sam Mitchell is a cold-blooded killer. He would plan to take your family and he has a certain set of skills and you would never find them again. He would murder you in your sleep and you wouldn't know. Yeah, I think the Diesel comparison is pretty good, both as a player and what his persona tends to be on the field. But off the field, I think like from everything I've seen of Diesel, Diesel maintains that personality off the field as well whereas Sam Mitchell I think is quite approachable and funny and we've talked about this on on the show especially last year when we were kind of a bit uncertain about Sam Mitchell and we made a point of watching more interviews but he's very funny and he's very warm and he's very open I just think he has that competitive he has that competitive streak um I've watched a lot of Nick Revolt stuff this week obviously and there was a um a, a pretty funny interview that he did on 360 on Tuesday night where I think Jared sort of brought up the point that, look, there are a portion of opposition fans who don't have a lot of love for Nick Revolt. And that may be to do with that, you know, cool, calm personality you have on the field. You don't come across with a lot as very warm, just very much like an uber professional. And, and Revolt said that when he uh, got together with his wife, Catherine, that she was the one who told him he had to work on his resting bitch face <laughs> because she said, like, Look, I understand that you're concentrating on when your head's in the game, like all you're thinking about is the next move and what you need to do to win, but it wouldn't kill you just to smile a bit more. Just just smile, turn that mouth, just like get the corners of the mouth turning up a bit more, which I think this year, I mean, look, Nick, Nick Revolt, for, for all the, 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 the amazing things he is as a leader, the one thing that I think um, the, the, the players responded to is that he never looked flustered. Like even, you know, apart from when he broke his collarbone all those years ago, he was the guy who even if you're like, you know, 10 goals down is still giving his all and doesn't seem to break stride. And I think that was the, that was the consistency of him as a leader. Um, I was thinking about, you know, where you rank Nick Revolt amongst St Kilda's greatest players. I was, there's on the AFL website, there's a Tony Lockett's highlight package and stuff. And like in my lifetime, I'd say the two greatest Saints I've, I've seen play would be, uh, Robert Harvey and, and Tony Lockett. I think Nick Revolt on talent alone is easily up there with those guys for the position he played in. But what Nick Revolt has more than anyone else that I've ever seen play for St Kilda is that complete package of being an exceptional once-in-a-lifetime uh, player, but he's also an exceptional once-in-a-lifetime leader to the point where I think that's the biggest challenge we're facing going forward now is how do you feel? Where, I can't think of one obvious choice to fill that leadership void at St Kilda. Yeah, he's, I, I was certainly a person that I think, well, firstly, he's been great against the Bulldogs over the years. So, like, you know, I, I certainly for a while, I think I kind of just hated him. I hated him because every time he would play against the Bulldogs, he'd just play really, really well. And, yeah, I think he did. He had, you know, resting Nick face. Like, both of the rewalks. Yeah. Like, Jack's exactly the same. He's got an even worse one than Nick does. It's just genetics. It's not their fault, but it's something that, you know, you have to... Like, that's when the coach says, hey, guys, you've got to take a good look in the mirror. And what I mean is, you've got to look at your resting bitch face and do something about that. But don't you reckon Jack's 
Jack has a bit more of that cocky, Wayne Carey, chest out kind of thing. Whereas Nick Revolt, Nick Revolt didn't strut around. Like when Jack's on song, or we're talking about old Jack, pre-leadership group Jack. When Jack was on song and the ball was coming to him, like you just got excited and you loved watching him just like peacock about in the forward line. Whereas Nick never really did that. He just sort of like got on with the job. And it was, I think it's, like you say, if you're an opposition player, uh, opposition team where he's just dominates every time, that's, there's nothing to immediately latch onto about him. I mean, everyone loves Richo because whether he's beating your team or he's missing a shot in front of goal, like he's so expressive and emotional, you can't help but be drawn into him. Yeah, absolutely. And like the thing I was going to say on Rewalt was it's these last, you know, three, three or four years that to me have really like for improved his legacy and like, you know, really made me a super, super fan of his. I just think he has just been so amazing through this time in a time where he could have either just packed it up and gone away or he could have, you know, gone somewhere else probably for a heap of money for the last couple of years and had a yeah roll of the dice at a premiership at another club or, you know, he probably had a bunch of different options about what he could do and he stuck with it and like, you know, he was their best player a lot of the time through some very hard times and, you know, whatever hope they have of rebuilding it in the short term, they've got to like, you know, give a lot of respect for him just holding it together a lot of the time. So now I've been really, I've been really, really impressed with him. It certainly, you know, made me appreciate his sort of legacy in the game more. Yeah. I mean, it's just the, it's, it's what he did in the last five years. Because if you saw that John O'Brown interview on On the Couch, he said that he remembers talking to Nick Revolt in 2008 about Nick's degenerative knee condition and thinking, well, you know, maybe he'll get to another three or four years of playing, but then he'll have to give it away. And you'd think after that grand final period for St Kilda, that would have been a perfect time to walk away. The team went into decline, went into rebuild. We finished bottom of the ladder in 2013. Like he would have been forgiven, but then he had his best season ever in 2014. I think he was All-Australian, won a best and fairest. It's like, I mean... His, his record speaks for himself. He'll be, he'll be dearly missed, but I'm just glad that he's gone out in his terms. It wasn't like a Chris Judd enforced retirement or something where he just couldn't get out of bed to play the game anymore. Like, I think he's really looking forward to those last four games. And, I mean, I've given up the ghost for finals. Like, we, have to, we can't make a mistake from now, and we need some things to go our way to make finals. But hearing him talk about it, on 360, he's like, no, no, we're playing finals. Like, he was that, his, his head is in the game. It's like, oh, God damn it, Nick. Like, even in your retirement, you're still leading this club. Right. To be honest also, Charlie, like, the, the only thing really at this point that could inspire them enough to get them into the finals is to do it for Rui and to do it for his legacy, right? So he probably isn't even retiring. This is, Richo's probably just come down to him and said, Rui. Uh, this is my last option. This is the only plan I have for this year. Please announce that you're retiring. We've got to lift the boys some way. And we think this is the, this is the last thing you can do for the club. We'll give you another two-year contract. But this is, we'll announce it later once we get into the finals. But right now, in fact, say you're also dying. If you can say you're retiring yeah. and you're dying, we, we really just need that. Well, there's a precedent for that at St Kilda because uh, in 2007, Fraser Gehrig didn't announce his retirement, but it was kind of known amongst the players um, that uh, he spoke to players before the last game of the 2007 season and said he was going to retire. And so he came out and played this great game, kicked three or four goals. Then at the end, the fans kind of cottoned on to the the fact that he was leaving because he did this sort of lap of honour and gave a girl his jumper. And it was a really emotional, perfect way to go out for that season. And then three months later, he says he's coming back. (laughs) (laughs) 
It's like, mate, do you not know? That's the perfect finish. He came, he came back with a busted hand and could barely play a game for the entire of 2008. Which was actually his favourite year because he had to do fuck all and get paid to do it. So really love that last year. For him, that's the only one he wants to talk about at Sportsman Notes. <laughs> All right, let's, uh, let's get into the footy that I did not see any of this weekend. Um, the first game was uh, Hawthorne. Mike Howell was very uh, happy to see that uh, Hawthorne, a resurgent Hawthorne, back on the board, 10-12-72, defeated the Sydney Swans, 9-12-66. Did you see any of this game, Will? Yes, I did. Um, here's what I'm going to say, Charlie, firstly, is like I so, so little in particularly this season like to boast about my tips, but I, I will say that I was confident that this was going to be the result in this game. And I know it was only a, you know, a one-goal game, but I, did, I, I got the feeling Hawthorne might win this one. And I think part of the reason is that Clarko is on fire as a coach. Like sometimes in AFL, it's hard to tell how much the coaches affect the game once they get out there, whether, you know, you've got a game plan and it seems so often these days, it's just whichever team actually turns up and plays the best, plays the game plan, they'll probably win. Is there these great coaching moves or not? But this was a well-coached game. You could tell that Clarko clearly had, like the Clarko cluster was kind of back and he clearly had a plan about how he was going to shut Sydney down. And to their great credit, Sydney, you know, still only lost by a goal. Like they're still a really super, super team. But like it was, the fact that they have just like flipped players around and they're, you know, playing down different ends of the ground. And like, you know, even that whole Will Langford kiss moment, like which became (laughs) this like massive Fucking story during the week. It was crazy. Point. Yeah. Like, well, I mean, how, okay, well, what's your take on it? Well, I mean, firstly, okay, here's what I would say is you, you don't want it happening all the time, obviously. Like, it's one of those things that, like, I guess you have to do something about it because if you don't do anything about it, then you go, well, that means you can just do it all the time. And nobody wants that all the time. Like, mm. it, my, my initial thought was that McVeigh just overreacted. I was just like, Game's over. Don't worry about it, mate. Just like laugh it off and it'll never happen again and whatever. But he was like, you know, it's really disrespectful. And then I started to think about it. I'm like, well, he's just doing his job, right? And he's just out there on the field. And if some dude was just like trying to kiss me on my face, like, I mean, mm. technically that should be a free kick, right? It's like, it's above the shoulder. It's Absolute intentional, face. intentional high contact. So yeah. <laughs> you could pay that as a free kick, but also it would be just annoying and you would want to punch them in the face. And so there is a part of me that's like, yeah, maybe like you shouldn't do it. I would have just laughed it off, but you know, I don't want to victim blame. <laughs> McVeigh has the right (laughs) to feel harassed. It's almost like unwelcome physical contact is a bad thing. (laughs) I mean, I don't know. uh, Will, you may have experienced this in your life being a a television personality, but from time to time, uh, people will try and hug me or even kiss me that I don't know. And it's confronting. Like, it's weird when you're not expecting it, when it's someone that you don't know well, like either puts an arm around your neck or tries to put their face close to yours. It is confronting. I think like... Look, I think it is silly and nothing bad happened and we don't need to sort of rake over this too much. But I think that McVeigh is, is well within his rights to be annoyed by the, 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 the contact of the personal space. If you can't put your fingers in a guy's mouth or in his eyes or whatever, you shouldn't be able to put your fucking mouth there either. Right, yeah, no, absolutely. And as he said, yes, disrespectful. I mean, even in a kissing sense. 
Like, it's disrespectful to just kiss someone straight away. I mean, have a conversation. Like, if in the first quarter they'd had a nice conversation and they kind of clicked on something, then maybe at quarter time they'd, like, shared an orange. And then in the second quarter they kind of, like... It was something like that if they'd built up. But, like, just don't go straight in for mm. the passion, mate. It's rude. Well, they, they would go for holding hands, but it's got to be within five metres of the ball. <laughs> yeah, that <laughs> it's a free kick. <laughs> well, you know, just that moment where a tackle turns into a cuddle. You know... You can sense it. Um, I got some inside info about the Hawks. I can't name my source, but this is like, this is not a whisper from the West. This is someone who is uh, entrenched at that club who gave me some real good information. Let's just call him uh, Rhett Bratton. (laughs) Well, Rhett said to me, um, I was asking about the Hodgie... Franklin stuff and I was like oh surely those guys are buddies and he's like no that is not the case there is a quite a bit of there's quite a bit of animosity between uh between Hodgie and Buddy that that stuff was real what we're seeing on the field was very much two guys who probably were close because they were teammates but in the intervening years enough animosity has grown that that was genuine pot shots that were they were having at each other Really? Because I just assumed, because there's the famous, you know, them having the kiss in the grand final, speaking of kisses, you know, like it feels like they were mates. It felt like, felt like they were buddies to use, excuse the pun. And so there's some, what, what, what is it about? Did you hear what it's about? What's it over? Didn't, didn't say it was about, but he seemed to reckon that Hodgie is much closer with Sam Mitchell, Ruffy, those guys, and that Buddy especially now, is more of an outlier. Well, I mean, he does play for another club in a different state and he did leave his club to go and play for that club. So I suppose that could in some way separate you yeah. from that club. It's not a, not a bombshell. The second uh, bombshell he dropped on me is I was... Because at the start of the year, I was, uh, I was quizzing him about Jaeger O'Meara. He was the guy who gave me the info saying, look, Jaeger may only be 75%, but you'd gamble on a 75% Chris Jard than, than not. Um, but he was saying that the... The drafting strategy had a lot of people concerned at the start of the year, what Hawthorne were doing, giving away high draft picks and where they are now. But the club, all staff are now on board with Clarko. They all understand what he was trying to do now, which is this idea that they took their middle-tier players, their B-plus players, and give them a good solid season. You want to get 20 to 30 games into them. And now they're going to have a Hodge retire and they can go after a free agent. But the other thing, the most interesting thing he said about this whole kind of, you know, middle tier player investment is that there are about half that list are uncontracted. And he was really surprised. He went for coffee with one of the players after a game and talked about next year. And the guy said, oh, I don't know next year. I haven't been drafted. And that was a deliberate missive from Clarko to say no contracts are on the table until we know where we're at the end of the year. So it's the Hunger Games down at Glen Ferry. These players, these middle-tier players, are all playing for their lives. Clarko's just going to do one of those ones where they're just like, uh, you know... Break every pool cue? Yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> Joker style. Just in, the, uh, just, in, just in the games room at Glen Ferry, just breaks a pool cue, throws it down in front of a group of middle-tier players. All right. Who wants to stay at the club? Well, I mean, you can just tell from the way that they're playing. I mean, they're, you know, they're one of the form teams of the competition again. And in a year where this was meant to be there, you know, I mean, they've re- like, I mean, this is why I was 
glad you didn't see much football on the weekend because I mean obviously it was your it was your birthday on the weekend and I was there were just so many things that were going against you like you know the fact obviously the fact obviously that you know this week you've learned that Rui you know the greatest player of your era for your club you know is you know retiring from the game but over the weekend obviously you know the result of your game how the result came about in your game like I don't know what you're talking about Will well, th- well, this is my point. You know, it's it's nice to keep these things from you. I think this is just like a time where maybe... Uh, and the Hawthorne thing, well, that was the thing that I was most worried about. I was like, oh, fuck, even, even your draft picked. Like, you know, Hawthorne were like going to plunge down. They were going to finish last on the ladder. That was going to be a St Kilda draft pick. And now Hawthorne might make the fucking finals. Hawthorne might finish above St Kilda. Fuck you, Hawthorne. You're ruining Charlie's birthday. Tom Mitchell might win the fucking Brownlow. Right. I mean, that's the bizarre thing. If Richmond, a lot of people have speculated on our Facebook page, the most Richmondy thing to happen now would be for Dustin Martin to get suspended somewhere before the end of the season, which would make Tom Mitchell the front runner for the Brownlow. Can you imagine that? So here's the thing. Dusty's now on the point where if he gets one more thing, you know, one of those finable offences or whatever, it, it tips over, right? So I'll paint you this scenario. Out of the Will Langford thing, they decide that from now on, if you kiss somebody, that's like a finable incident. Dustin Martin, in the final round, like celebrates the fact that Richmond are going through to the finals by running back and kissing his opponent on the cheek, and that gets reported, and it's the kiss that knocks Dustin Martin out of Brownlow contention uh, and out of the first week of the finals. That would be Richmondy. That would be pretty Richmondy. <laughs> a rule that was only implemented four weeks out from right. the end of the season. Like the poison kiss, the kiss that brought him down. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the next game, Michael. The Shinboners, North Melbourne, 11 10 76, defeated Melbourne, 10 12 72. I feel like I tipped this because this is North uh, uh, Melbourne's bogey team. They lost earlier in the year and they don't seem to beat them ever. Um, did you see any of this game, Will? This is uh, what, by the way, just to let everyone know, this is what it's going to be like for every game we review. Did you see this game, Will? Tell me about it. Well, here's what I'll say about this game, Charlie. I did not see a lot of the game, but I will say this, that um, obviously it's a very good advertisement for our Shin and Boner Spirit of Tasmania cruise. Uh, the, the fact that when they go down there, they play so well. And uh, our Shin Boner of the year, the Hercules who you wanted to cut his hair... Earlier in the season, uh, Ben Brown, during this game, Charlie, was at one stage leading the Coleman a medal. Uh, he is not anymore after Joey Danaher got in front of him, but uh, Ben Brown right in the mix for All-Australian honours this year. So um, really great season by Benny Brown. Um, and that's all I know about this game, the end. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's funny. That's all. Well, I did watch the highlights, and that's what I gathered as well, as Ben Brown's a good footballer. Um, I Look, I take it back. I, I, I know at the start of the season I was a little conservative about the haircuts, but since I've cognitively reframed how I see Ben Brown, because now I just see him as like uh, the lead in Godspell. Like if he got out of a combi van, like wearing overalls and no shirt, you know, maybe or maybe he's wearing overalls, no shirt, and and two different coloured Converse, and then he starts breaking into prepare. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I get it. He looks like. 
He's, he looks like a hippie, and he plays like a really good hippie footballer. I like Ben Brown. I actually, if I'm a if I'm a shin boner, if I'm a shin boner fan, I think this season's been not too bad. Like you're gonna have a big changeover from last year. I think you've got some really good young players, and you've taken enough bigger scalps that you're like, okay, well we can still beat teams above us on the ladder. The greater concern for me is if I'm fucking Melbourne, like. I, I don't know what else they could have going for them. Like they just, apart from the Jesse Hogan thing, like they're they're sitting pretty well with a really good bunch of players and stuff. They've had a pretty good run home, but they just can't fucking win those games. They have to win. It's this constant curse of North Mel uh, of Melbourne. Yeah, and I don't know why, but I think it's I, I don't know why. Like so, sometimes football's so fucking weird like this, but. I've just gone off Melbourne a bit in the last few weeks. <laughs> like I was so How into Mel I was so into them a few weeks ago. I was, I was all up in Melbourne. I was like, yeah, Melbourne. This season could be all about Melbourne. And it's like it's like when you're watching Game of Thrones and then suddenly you're just not really interested in one of the storylines. You're like, oh yeah, all the fun's come out of this one since whatever happened. And like I feel like a bit like that at Melbourne. I just I felt like I was right involved in the Melbourne storyline early in the season and they've gone off the boil a bit and my interest in Melbourne has gone out the window a bit. In fact, no, you know what I think it is? I think it's because Melbourne's one of the teams I need to see fail for the Bulldogs to make the right. finals. And I think I'm letting that cloud my judgment when it comes to Melbourne. I reveled in them losing this game on the weekend. When I saw this result, I was like, fucking yes. Good on you, North Melbourne. That is a great result for the Bulldogs to sneak into the finals. Yeah, Melbourne. Thanks for being shit again. This is brilliant. Good news, doggies. Do you think they, uh, by being forced to rein in their ratbag behaviour, the Instagram posts and the online bullying and stuff, that maybe, maybe they've curbed uh, some good ones curb their curb their game style? It, imagine if it turned out that was the case. <laughs> so that's the storyline, right? So next week they have another game and they're terrible again, and then so with two rounds to go, they have to unleash them online. They have to say, this week, boys, all bets are off. If you want to have an argument with yeah. someone in the crowd, you have an argument with someone in the crowd. If you want to send taunts to people on Instagram, we'll show you how to use Snapchat. You can get your cock yeah. out. It's fine. We don't care. We <laughs> need to do it, guys, to make the finals. Yeah, For the finals, we've opened up a subreddit, which is just so the players can abuse opposition fans and other players. Yeah, in the bye weekend coming into the finals, they get someone to explain to them how to use the dark web. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the next game. GWS Giants 13-20-98 defeated Frio expectedly 13-8-86. So Frio put up a pretty good fight in the end, I'm assuming. Or was this junk time goals? No, no, no. In fact, the opposite. I was watching this game, just uh, the scores of this game during the day because I was in Canada, but I was uh, checking in during the day. And... Um, I will say this, uh, is that I thought Frio were going to win this all day. I thought GWS were going to drop this game. And again, I was going to be very joyful about that. I was really, even though I didn't tip it in my tips, I was like, I'm now just barracking for the Bulldogs. So I'm now just barracking for teams to fall over in front of us as much as possible now. Um, but GWS got there in the end. And, you know, that, that's a good win for them, I think. Like, you know, they, they've they, uh, Cameron's though out for three or four weeks. Um, yeah. They're still looking a bit wobbly. That's the thing I was going to say is they look a bit wobbly. Like, I, I don't think they look as solid as an Adelaide or even a Geelong at this stage. There's something about them that feels like obviously when they're on, they're on. But 
if you can get them on a bad day, then then everybody's a chance, especially anyone in the top eight this year. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. That's that's the good thing about GWS. Even if they went on to win the premiership from here, because, you know, I think any team, well, you know, any team in that sort of top six to eight, you could see string together three or four games in a way that they could have a run at the premiership at the moment. And, like, it wouldn't surprise you if GWS pull it all together and manage to do that. But at the moment, the nice thing is that you feel like you could beat GWS on, you know, on your day. Did you see the vision of uh, Heath Shaw having a chat with that dude after the siren, his own teammate, telling him off for not passing the ball to him just before the siren went? Yeah, but I reckon that's the conversation that Heath Shaw has inside his head anytime anyone doesn't give him the ball. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? He hasn't really... Like, often when a player switches clubs in the circumstances in which he did, you see, like, a level of maturity. Like, they take on the leadership position. But GWS... Players just seem to keep being the same guys they were, like Stevie Johnson and, and Heath Shaw. Like, I get the feeling that while everyone was sending Nick Revolt platitudes uh, this week for, uh, for an excellent career, I get the feeling Heath Shaw probably sent him a vision of that smother from 2010. <laughs> well, maybe that's GWS's offer to the older players. That's how they're so attractive to older players because they're just like, you don't have to change. Here's the good news. A lot of clubs would want you to change, but we'd like, we, yeah. we invite in your bad habits. We want you to be exactly how you always were. Would you remember that was like Sydney's whole kind of modus operandi was, oh, we take damaged players. We take Barry Hall. We take Plugger. We take players from other clubs who have got like, you know, behavioral issues and we turn them into super disciplined footballers. It's the blood discipline factory. GWS need to define themselves differently from the Swans. I like this. They're like, nah, mate. We'll take your rat bags and we'll fucking supercharge them. You know what? Send Thomas Bag, uh, Thomas Bug back to us. We'll turn that guy into a complete asshole by the end of the year. Yeah, basically GWS, whatever you're famous for, you can just do that. So if you're Stevie J, famous for like not giving off handballs and trying to kick goal, kick miracle goals from the boundary, just do that, mate. Hey, if you're Brett Delidio and if you're famous for just being injured all the time, just be injured all the time, <laughs> mate. It's fine. Whatever you want to do. We're GWS. Be yourself, Did man. you read that interview with Brett Deledio this week where he talked about his emotional return? And it's like, mate, the only emotion I've been feeling is fucking boredom. I don't know. Is that an emotion? <laughs> like, who cares? Who cares? Do you care enough? Do you think Brett Deledio is the fucking key to GWS's like premiership chances? Nah, it's like fucking Brett Deledio feels to me like Jay Leno bought, like, you know, Jay Leno's got like a hundred cars. Like, it feels to me like Jay Leno just bought, like, a nice, you know, refitted Mustang. It's a beautiful car, yeah. you know, and it looks good on the road and whatever, but it's not the best thing he's got in his garage by a mile. No, and I didn't, like, I never got the sense that when they did that trade that Lids was the missing piece of the puzzle. I just thought, well, you know, like, if you're going to get a, a mature-age player, then, you know, you're going to get him. But I sort of put him in that Daniel Wells category, which is, like, he's nice to have, but you're not relying on him. Yeah, although having seen Wells, and we'll get to that, but having seen Wells play so well again for Collingwood, you do actually think, you know what? It actually would be great if he did this all the time. <laughs> if he was playing all the time, yeah. <laughs> I think we actually would be a heaps better team. <laughs> all right, let's move on to the next game. Okay, now this is a game I've, uh, I've heard a lot about since I didn't watch it live, but Port Adelaide, nine nine sixty three. Defeated the Saints 8-13-61. Now, I have watched the highlights of this in the wash-up. My, um, 
My uh, birthday party was on Saturday. My entire family flew in from all over Australia, which was amazing. Um, but all my family are diehard Saints supporters. So I had to put a blanket ban on them talking football, showing me the AFL app, checking the scores. They could check the scores. They just couldn't come tell me, and I'm glad I did. I did see a little bit I, – I, I, I did get a little bit of a look in around about the first quarter, and I saw a couple of goals down, and I, and I was like, okay, that's probably how this game's going to go. We'll probably stay in touch, and then, and then we'll lose. But then watching the highlights is so heartbreaking because in the final two minutes, when Membry kicks that goal to put us 10, 10 points up with two minutes to go, the commentators say something along the lines of, St Kilda kicked themselves into the finals race. Oh, no. Well, that, I guess that's the thing, Charlie. If you had been getting updates on the game, you wouldn't have actually been in a bad mood. You would have been in a really good mood. In fact, with 30 seconds to go, you would have been in a really great mood. And then you would have got to experience what it's like to barrack for Richmond. Because that is what happened in this game. Like, never there has been an example of something being more Richmondy than what St Kilda managed to do. I heard commentary where the commentator literally said, what St Kilda have to worry about here is Ryder getting the ball down to Gray. And then 40 seconds later, Ryder got the ball down to Gray and there was no St Kilda people anywhere near him. And the one guy on the field, this, like... Port Adelaide fucking superstar who like also perhaps, you know, could murder people. I feel like he's a guy who could easily dispose of a body, Robbie Gray, as well. Like he has that clinical efficiency of just like that Mr. Wolf, like he's just going to get this shit sorted. Yeah, you blew off someone's head in the back of your car, but Robbie Gray's here and everything's going to be okay. Like he is a superstar player, but that... If it wasn't being done to your team, that bit of ruck work to Robbie Gray for him to just ice that game was a beautiful Incredible. thing to watch, like, you know, in our game. No, no, even as someone who, whose team was getting done, I can respect what a great piece, if, piece of play that was. Like, Paddy Ryder, I mean, he's sort of been the quiet achiever this year, definitely going to be in contention for All-Australian. But that was as good an over-the-shoulder tap as you'll ever see. Like, literally... You hear it all the time about putting the ball down someone's throat, but that could not have been any easier. Like a, 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 a junior footballer would have been able to take that. It was just placed so perfectly with just enough touch on it. It wasn't slammed down. He didn't have to fumble. It literally hovered in front of him. Like all he had to do was just take it out of the air. The thing that I thought was most impressive though was, from my understanding, it was a pretty wet night and a lot of players have been missing goals and sliding over players. Robbie Gray, to slot that on the run from 50 with the pressure that was on him. Like, that's incredible. That's, that, that is a superstar bit of play. Well, Charlie, the thing is, ordinarily in that moment, what you have to deal with is the enormous roar of the crowd, but he didn't have to because the crowd had left. It's one of my yes. favourite things about this game is the fact that apparently half of the Port Adelaide fans were already halfway across the footbridge. Like, people were running back towards the ground. Like, people were gone. This game was over. Yeah, and it's one of those games too where when you look at our run home, this one was the hardest of the ones we had to get. So if we had got that, it puts us in a better position where we still could maybe drop another game in the last four. But now it's just we have to win four games. We have to win them pretty well and we have to rely on a bunch of other teams falling over. I mean, to be honest, I feel like I've put the cue in the rack. I just don't feel... I, f I feel like even if we made the finals, what are we going to do? I don't feel like we're one of those bottom 
bottom half of the eight teams that could fucking get on a run and, and, and fly up uh, to a grand final. I think the Bulldogs could do it. I think the Demons could do it. I think, you know, Port could do it. I just sort of feel like this, this is not our year. And, and, you know, and I sort of said that last week. I knew something was up with Revolt because they've just been trialing all these young key forwards and you don't put, in my opinion... If you are serious about playing finals, you don't start debuting guys in round 17 and 18. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I think that Richo is a pragmatist enough to go, look, we're going to give it a good shot, but we also have to think about next year. You know what he's doing? He's being a bit Adam Simpson-like. I think he's already thinking about next year. Well, that's the other thing. A lot of people don't know, but that's Richo's third P, prag- pragmatism. Moving on to the next game, because that's uh, all we have to talk about with Port and St Kilda. The Tigers, 14-14-98. In what was potentially a danger game, knowing who Richmond are, defeated the Suns 10-5-65. Well, the problem with this game, uh, you know, for Gold Coast was that Gary Ablett wasn't playing. And they only ever win if Gary Ablett plays. So that's pretty much all you need to know about the Gold Coast at the moment, right? Um, I, I, I didn't see this game... Um, so I, I don't have like I know that pisses off people who listen to the podcast when I we have nothing to say about the game. Do you, I didn't even hear anything about it in particular. Like it's like one of those games where you just like was there any stories that came out of this game? Was there any? Oh well, Dust, well the fact that Dustin Martin's probably going to win the brown though. He played well again. He was like mostly he was mostly best on ground again. So yeah, I'm a bit, the problem is when you've got Richmond just being normal playing against a team that have no fans like the Gold Coast, what is the story? You know what I mean? Like the only way this would have caught any attention would be if Richmond had lost or something very Richmondy had happened. But because it all went according to plan, there's nothing we don't we don't want Richmond to win sort of they didn't thrash them. They won by what is it, thirty three points? Five goals. So there's nothing about this that is exceptional to us. And Richmond fans You've got a lot of mileage out of us this year. We have talked about your team, probably more than our own teams this year. So we can have one round where we don't talk about it. And Gold Coast fans, you don't exist. So <laughs> don't worry about it. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. Like, Richmond fans, you know what? Just take a knee. There's plenty to come in this story. <laughs> take a knee. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, there's, there's still... It's not like Richmond's going to be written out of this season. Richmond has still got a lot to, like, you know, a lot to show us this season. We'll revel in it later. And Gold Coast, yeah, exactly. Like, who cares? Yeah, who does care? <laughs> Moving on, Michael. Next game, please. Ah, now, apparently something happened in this game which garnered a fair bit of attention. The Cats, 18-15-123, defeated the Blues, 8-10-58. First of all, let me just say, I... My rage has subsided. I'm feeling a lot better about where Carlton are at these days. I know they've had some injuries, and a few weeks ago, people predicted that this slide would happen, but this is fine. The year that Carlton's had this year, I'm okay with. If this is what it's going to be like for the next few years, I'm fine with that. They win six or seven games. Some of their young kids have breakout, you know, breakout performances. They get a couple of nominations, but they don't actually do any good. I'm okay with this kind of Carlton. Yeah, okay. I'm fine with that. Uh, so the big story, of course, is Geelong out of this game. Well, the big story, of course, is you know, the fact that Patrick Dangerfield um, tackled Matthew, Matthew Cruiser and Cruiser hit his head and he got a concussion and Dangerfield got a, well, a two-match suspension down to one. Is that what it was? It was a two-to-one, wasn't it? That's right. And uh, so out for a week, uh, ineligible for the Brownlow. That 
people have been talking about that he was way out in front of, which I think it, we might find that Dustin Martin was still, a, you know, a set of votes out in front. And I think there's going to be, whether it's like Crouch or whether it's, um, you know, fucking Clayton Oliver or somebody like that, you can always just imagine oh, there'll Mitchell. be... A, yeah, Mitchell, absolutely. You know, someone from Sydney. You can imagine the, the there could be somewhere in, in one of those teams. That's, Zach Merritt, you know. I mean, Essendon won enough games that Merritt could poll in a whole bunch of games. There's there's going to be some other players out there. But obviously one of the, you know, massive favourites for the Brownlow. Um, what did you think about this? Uh, look, I, I think I agree with the predominant sort of commentary, which is, look, it didn't seem to be that bad. He did everything that you're meant to do in a tackle. But going off the precedent, uh, you should get a week for that. Like uh, in the Frio uh, Saints game a few weeks ago, Cam McCarthy did a very similar thing to Sam Gilbert and knocked him out and he got two weeks for that. So, I mean, the only person who seemed to be unconcerned by it was Patrick Dangerfield. <laughs> Like, that was the amazing part. It was like, you've got, like, all these football commentators, like, all the histrionics and people losing their minds and uh, about it. But every time you see Paddy interviewed about it, he was like, oh, well, you know, that's what happens and, you know, we've got to protect the players and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I mean, look, he's he's a really professional, you know, footballer. And clearly, this is one of those things where he kind of was, he was doing what you want footballers to do, which is tackle tackle people hard. And particularly if you're going in to tackle someone who's 20 kilos heavier than you are, you know, you're not going to have any chance to, you know, get the ball out of their hands and tackle them without tackling them hard. People are taught to tackle and pin both arms. However, the thing is in AFL now that there's this rule that says, you know, whether you believe in it or not, this is the rule that says if you pin both their arms and they can't control their way to the ground, then the duty of care is yours you know you the tackler have to make sure that they make it safely to the ground and I don't think that he did it on purpose I think he didn't know the ball had been you know knocked out of the like it seems like he was reacting all that was fine but you it's Mm. still something that you probably should get a week for but then it gets to the more complicated question which is do you think that something that he was doing that mostly would have been a very fair thing to do that was we can only argue was slightly clumsy and you know kind of does he deserve to not be eligible for the brown low for laying a tackle that went a slight tiny little bit wrong as opposed to someone who like jumper punches someone or you know something that I guess what I'm saying is the difference between non-football acts, you know, the idea of turning around someone and punching them or whatever, which is a non-football act or something which is you were trying to do a legitimate football act and it went slightly wrong and, you know, should you lose the brown leg for that? Well, it's hard because the one thing that AFL, the rule makers love is, is trying, to, trying to ascertain intent which is fucking crazy because I, my feeling is it's, I like it being the best and fairest award. I love that the players who generally win it are kind of clean skin kind of players. Cause I think it's something that should be encouraged. I feel like this is a perception issue because I think Paddy Dangerfield did everything right in that tackle, everything he did to protect the player. But if it wasn't Paddy Dangerfield, if it was Thomas Bug who had laid that tackle with exactly the same technique, I don't think we'd be having this conversation. I think everyone would be like, no, he got his fair whack and that's fair enough. And I think even more than that, people would be saying that's further evidence that he's a thug. So 
Okay. Well, here's I don't know. A, but here's what I'm going to say about that is, like, it's not fucking Thomas Buck. It's Patrick Dangerfield. Like, this idea that they are the similar things, they're not. Because one of them might be losing, yeah, the Brownlow. Or we might be taking, as an industry, for an incident that was, you know, careless at worst, right? We might be taking the entire fun out of our, one of our greatest nights of the year, which is Brownlow night. You know, that idea that, yeah, Dangerfield's going to have to present it. Like, imagine if he wins it and he has to present it to somebody else. Like, I mean, it's a crazy scenario. I mean, it's a lot of drama, I guess, but it would really take some of the fun out of the night if it was going to be a head-to-head race, say, between him and Dusty Martin. Now, it might not be that. We're, we're speculating. But it's not going to be a head-to-head race between Dustin Martin and Thomas Buck. So, <laughs> it's, a, it's a different scenario, I think. Yeah, I mean, I... I, I... I think I think if you're good, you should get a bit of leeway. I know people are like it should be the same for everyone. I'm like no, because not everyone on the field's giving us the same joy as well. If you're a really really awesome player, you should be able to occasionally be able to punch someone, and we just let you get away with it. We go. Well, Mick Mul- <laughs> Mick Malthouse said that years ago, right. didn't he? Like, there's bit, there's two sets of rules for your good players. Like you are, if you know your captain and leadership group uh, get caught drinking on an end of season trip they're probably not going to get the same punishment as your rookie rookie listed players yeah well that's so, like, it's yeah. it's basically you going well he gets away with it cuz he's a better player and yeah you're like yeah so be a better player and you'll get away with it <laughs> like it's a really simple system mate well you know what that that you know that, I wouldn't be surprised if Clarko introduces that at Hawthorne. <laughs> As part of his strange mind games to engender better performances. Yeah. Why does Hodgie um, get away with this? He's just a really good player. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Well, the, the, I guess the confusing issue and the one that's been debated a lot as well yes. is the impact. Like, if Cruiser hadn't been knocked out, if he'd just been winded or not seriously injured, but it was the Carlton medical report that, that sort of count, counted against Paddy. And it's like, well... That's fairly subjective again, isn't it? Because if uh, Shane Mumford lays a tackle as opposed to fucking Caleb Daniel lays a tackle, then you're going to get two different results. And both players are going in with the same intent, which is to, you know, uh, stop the player, release the ball, you know, drive them into the ground. Oh, yeah. But the other thing is as well, like he's tackling somebody who's like, you know, taller than him, who's like 20 kilos heavier than him. And like as a tall person, here's what I know about being tall, Charlie. Tall people are unco as fuck. Like, if he tackled somebody who was, like, not as tall and not as unco, maybe they wouldn't have bounced off their shoulder and their head into the ground. You know what I mean? It's not his fault that he tackled a big unco. He shouldn't lose the brown low because he fucking ran into a big unco. I'll go one step further and say Matthew Cruiser should be the one being suspended. Exactly. Matthew Cruiser should have got three weeks reduced to two for being a big unco. <laughs> exactly. Uh, what about the cats? Do you feel any better about them? As uh, are they in your top three, top two, top three? Yeah, they're in the mix. Yeah, I mean, if you're a Geelong fan, you've just got to think. Well, I'm going to book myself some finals tickets, and I'm going to see you know how we go. But th- yeah, they'll they'll be in the mix. The great thing is, and I know we've said this all season, but it's amazing that we're this far into the season. And I mean, obviously the Hawthorne Swans results because it was starting to get to the point where you go, well, if I had to lock one team in for being the flag favourite, you go, well, maybe it's Sydney. Maybe we've got to the point where Sydney's, and then you know Hawthorne, who probably won't make the finals come out and they beat Sydney and now Hawthorne are a chance of making the finals again. Like anyone could fucking win this thing, Charlie. Like all bets are <laughs> off. All you got to do is make it and you're a chance to fucking win it. Yeah, no, it's crazy. Moving on to Sunday, Will. Speaking of which, oh. speaking oh. of which, I just uh, like the to dogs say. dogs barking out west. 
four weeks ago, you needed bloody counselling. Yeah. I was scared. I was like, shit, I'm going to have to find a new co-host. But I've kept the faith this year, and I would argue I've kept the faith more than you've kept the faith this year. And suddenly, there's a bit of bark out in the West. The Western Bulldogs, 19-13-127, defeated the Bombers, 13-19-97. Now, there's been a lot of chat about this game. A couple of points, which is like, uh, Bont- not Bontempelli v Danaher, but at least we're seeing two of the best young players running around in a game unleashed, doing what they do best. But secondly, did the Bombers not play a game, or did they play into the Bulldogs' hand? They they tried that run-and-gun game against probably one of the, the league's best teams. Well, okay, firstly what I would say about this game is, um, I know you haven't seen any football this weekend, but at, <clears throat> at some stage... Put some time aside and watch this game of football. Like, the first quarter of this game is the best, most exciting quarter of football that I've ever seen in my entire life. The speed that it was played at, there was like, I think, one stoppage or two stoppages in the entire quarter. It was played almost entirely in the middle of the ground. And it was just one team to another turning like you know running the ball from end to end like Danaher marking down forward the Bulldogs kicking goals but the way it was played like I was like if they bring like if AFLX is like faster than this literally players will catch on fire there were players who just like explode (laughs) playing the game it was so fast and it was so amazing and I like Jared Healy would have been leaving a wet patch on his seat in the commentary box because he was actually talking about the fact and I agree with him it felt like you were watching what the next evolution of football might be. Like the Hawthorne-Swans game was like, there was a lot of stoppages, there was a lot of shutting it down. This was the opposite. It was two teams not playing a lot of, you know, traditional sort of shutdown defense. It was two teams who were just trusting the fact that their running with the ball would be better than the other team running with the ball. And it was so exciting to watch. And to be honest, the momentum of the whole game, I mean, the, the score flat as the Bulldogs. This was a pretty close game right up until about two or three minutes to go and the Bulldogs just piled it on. I, I don't think... This was definitely the best game the Bulldogs have played for the season. Like, definitely the best game they've played for the season by a mile. And Bontempelli, it was that game again where you just went, ah, ah, that's right. Because I, I just felt like this season, even though he's probably still been our best player all season, I just didn't feel like he was playing better than he played last season. But to watch him play in this game, and Danaher the same, just, it was such a great fucking game of football to watch. Like, both ways. You know, just to watch Joe Danaher go about his business, to watch Bont and Pally go about his business, to watch these two teams just play this attacking, brilliant game of football. It was... Oh, I've I've like literally watched the game, like, probably nearly watched the entire thing twice already this week. It's... Just so enjoyable to watch. Like, everything's a fucking highlight reel. Like, Cloak kicked a fucking goal of the year contender. Like, it was one of those games where even Cloakie could kick a goal. It was so much fun. I loved it. It was so good to watch. It was so exciting. Well, we'd be happy to know that uh, Kingy's been in the lab and he's been crunching the numbers. And Kingy thinks that the Bulldogs are just getting cherry ripe at the right time of the year. Whether or not this has been part of uh, Bevo's plan all along who knows i say no but you're playing brisbane this weekend not a bad platform like you guys obviously still have to make finals but if you can keep this momentum going in then who knows 
Well, that's the thing, because we're still missing some players we get back, but it was just the way they played. It was the adventurous way that they played. Now, there might be other teams who don't let us play that way, but it was one of those things where you suddenly were like, oh, here's a solution to us being not very good out of the stoppages. Let's just not have stoppages. You know, like, I mean, it was one of those things where you're suddenly like, they just ran so fast and Johannesson was like, they played him down forward. He played on, well, he played forward early and then back, but they didn't tag him as hard. And I think he kind of, and he kicked four goals. He kicked like three of these just beautiful outside 50 because you forget he's just such a beautiful straight running kick. Uh, It was good to watch. It was really exciting because they haven't, even in the games they've won this season, they just haven't really been that impressive. But it was it was really fantastic to play them. Play it, They looked like they were playing against a really good team and it felt like it was a really good game. And I was like, ah, it, you know, we're still missing a lot of players, but if they could like reproduce this sort of game plan and this sort of style, then if we made finals, then, you know, people would be worried. Well, it's it's good to see that uh, Johannesson's mother's decision to donate his childhood blanket to the Multicultural Museum uh, paid off in dividends. Maybe there's been some kind of trade-off where he only gets it back if he, you know, averages over like 25 touches a game and kicks a couple of goals. Maybe that's part of Bevo's psychological game plan. I mean, that'd be great if you found out that's what it was. <laughs> yeah, that you, you'll get your blankie back once you win another Norm Smith. Or maybe the Bulldogs' plan this year is like, fuck it, anyone can win it from seventh. Let's win it from eighth. Let's see if we can win it from eight this year. Right. We'll fucking tank for three quarters of the season. We'll come good. We'll just sneak into the finals and let's win it from eighth. Well, I have, I have said that maybe Bevo does like the seventh position and this has been a whole long-term game plan just to make sure that we sneak into seventh. But I, it's a risky strategy. That's all I'm saying. It's funny too, like how Joe Danaher's really come along this season. Like, I think at this, the first, felt like the first five or six weeks, there was all these question marks about him. Remember he had that game where he was missing everything and laughing yep. and all that kind of stuff. But now he's just, now he's just fucking found it. Uh, he was... Watching him play, and that's the great thing is, because when I was watching them bounce it from end to end, I was thinking, what aspects of AFL is this missing? Like, you know, and I, I was like, well, not really a lot. The only thing is high marks. And then they would kick it down, and he would just be taking these beautiful high marks. He is such a fantastic footballer. And now that he's so good, it feels like the mustache doesn't seem as ironic. I don't know. Right. Like, it just right. feels to me like, you know, like before it felt like he was a boy pretending to be a man with a mustache. And now he just looks like a man with a mustache. And I think also, like, there's been a lot of contenders for smaller heads, like Callum Sinclair, John O'Patton. So maybe the focus is going off the tininess of his head and you're putting more attention on his football. Yeah, I think that's what it is. That's been his big dream of this season. If you get the attention <laughs> off his head and onto his football. All right, let's move on. Uh, I, I have to catch a flight soon, so I'm yep. going to just speed through the, the last couple of games and the next week's tapes, tips. Uh, at the MCG, fuck. Like, we didn't have a draw at all at the start of the season. Now we just can't stop having draws. The Pies, 15-13, 103. Uh, drew with Adelaide 16-7-103. At one stage, were in excess of 50 points up. Well, this is the problem for Collingwood. Uh, went, went completely against their strength, which is backs against the wall. In fact, got their backs as far away from the wall a- as possible and only got them right back to the wall in the last moment. In fact, McGovern got their banks, backs finally against the wall. This is a... this. I mean, this is an interesting one, like when it comes to, you know, what it means for Collingwood because... 
they've just done almost enough to convince you that it's worth keeping Buckley and rebuilding around him. And you know, I mean, a draw. Mm. If you before if before this game you'd said you're going to have a draw up against like you know the team that's on top of yeah. the ladder, you take that. You go, this is a really good sign. But the fact that they were fifty points up and then got sort of moaned down, yeah, then. Uh, it's hard. It, it's it's never it's never straightforward with Collingwood. No. This is the thing. They're the Ross and Rachel of the AFL. It's like, look, I don't care. You keep bucks, you get rid of bucks, but right. just fucking do something. something. But you know they won't. You know it's going to fucking keep going almost for ten fucking seasons, right? That's what it is. It's a real will they won't though. Yeah, <laughs> and it feels like that they will. I mean, I sort of have for the last couple of months felt like it doesn't matter how they finish, he's going to stay. Like they haven't been humiliated enough. And I don't think enough could happen this last four weeks to get rid of Buckley. He could walk. That's the only other thing I could see happening is him going, you know what, I just can't see a future. But he doesn't strike me as the kind of guy who would do that. Yeah. Well, the big thing they say is he hasn't lost the players, right? That's the... Yeah. He hasn't lost the players. Well, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Adelaide, um, they were terrible, terrible. And then, you know, played heaps better in the second half. And Mitch McGovern is out of contract at the end of the season. I think there'll be quite a few clubs interested in him. Yeah, he's definitely had a, a, a like a much better season, and I loved, I loved after the game when he kicked the well, he kicked the goal, and and you know he's mm. doing the interview, and he's like, you know, he's really happy about it. But he's like, you know, it's the thing you, the thing you dream of, and you're kind of like, yeah, well, I mean, not really, is it? No one really draws no. of kicking the goal that's for the, the draw. Do you know what I mean? Like it's like you yeah. keep the goal yeah. after the siren, but for a draw. Not like everyone dreams of the win, right? Yeah. <laughs> he just said well he didn't like as a child he never set his expect expectations too high. He's like, you know, I don't want to overshoot. Yes. I'll I'll kick for a draw. Yeah, what's your AFL dream? That it kick one after the siren for a draw. <laughs> <laughs> the last game of the round was the Eagles, 17-13, 113, defeating the Brisbane Lions, 6-9-45. Uh, from what I could tell on social media, Lacroix kicked a goal or something. Yes, and that he, he he certainly is referred to by other people as the Frenchman, which is good to hear. Yeah, I mean we call him the little Frenchman, but I'm sure I've heard that before as well. Well, I mean you know that's just adding little. Like as long as the people are <laughs> saying he's the Frenchman, I, I that, that was for just for a minute. I was just like, hang on, have we just been being really horribly racially? <laughs> I mean, yes, we have been, but like <laughs> for no reason. <laughs> Uh, so West Coast. I mean, we talked about West Coast at the top of the show. Can't really get a beat on them. They're probably going to they're gonna, probably going to play finals, but who cares? That's the kind of feeling. Like I don't feel that like they're going to win it, but it's just it's it, it, it's they're in an odd kind of position right now. Yeah, it, it feels like they have already moved on in their mind. But the truth is that they could still play finals, and if they make it to the finals, who knows what could happen from there? Imagine if West Coast win the flag this year, which could fucking happen in this season. I mean, I'll be eating my words. I mean, Lacroix will be eating a croissant probably <laughs> somewhere. But I will be eating my words. Uh, do you have anything to add on the Brisbane side of things? No, nah, no, uh, Brisbane, okay. no good. Hipwood, Hipwood's a good player. We all love him. Yeah. Joe Danaher. Zorko's having a good ahead. season. Don't know how he went in this game. <laughs> <laughs> looking ahead. Uh, to, well, probably tonight when you actually hear this podcast, uh, Geelong take on the Swans at Skilled Stadium. Now, this will be a fucking cracking game. No Paddy Dangerfield. The Swans are licking their wounds. Do they have enough to go through to the finals? Uh, Will. 
Uh, no danger wood, just wood. Geelong might stand up against Sydney, but I reckon Sydney, oh, I mean, it's hard at Simmons, isn't it? That's the thing that makes you, like Sydney have to win this one. Geelong could afford to lose this one, but it does feel like one of those things, Simmons Stadium, maybe Geelong make a statement, um, you know, that they're not a, you know, sort of only two-person team. You know, they win it for Paddy. They're inspired by the fact that he didn't take it to the tribunal. He did the team thing. So they bond together as a team. And then suddenly Sydney, who looked so confident a couple of weeks ago that they would be definite for the finals, are getting a little bit shaky after they lose to Geelong. Uh, I'm going to say uh, Geelong. I'm going to say Geelong. I'm going to pick... Uh, using your philosophy, picking t- picking games, uh, the results that I want to go. If Sydney lose, it means they're on level pegging with us or maybe just a game in front, so I'm going to pick the Cats as well. On Saturday, now, I-, I thought maybe this is a misprint, but GWS are taking on the Demons at the University of New South Wales? Is that what we've been reduced to with 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 Giants games? No, I believe it's the you Okay, now I'm about to say something crazy, but is the University of New South Wales stadium... In Canberra? Is this a game in Canberra? Oh, like, I, don't know. I think the Canberra game the stadium might be now called the University of New South Wales Stadium. Oh, okay. But it's not at the University oh. of New South Wales. I certainly think they sponsor one sense. of their stadiums anyway. But uh, GWS versus Melbourne. This is an interesting game, I reckon, uh, because GWS, you would say, are in slightly better form. But Melbourne, if they want to play finals, have to win this game. I'm just going to pick on the theory of I want Melbourne to lose because it's better for the Bulldogs. So I'm going to say GWS. Uh, Ditto. I will say the same thing. Essendon take on traditional rivals Carlton at the MCG. Uh, Look, Carlton feel like they're done, right? I mean, their injuries, uh, no petrol in the tank. There was actually a great bit of footage uh, we, we should have mentioned in the um, in the Geelong Blues game where Matthew Cruz was sitting on the bench, clearly concussed and obviously a bit dazed. And they had this profile shot of him and sitting next to him was Jack Silvani, who was looking at Cruiser as if Cruiser had just said something like, can you tell me where the chickens are flying? <laughs> <laughs> because the look on Jack Silvani's face is like, what? Are you all right? I mean, maybe Jack Silvani was the one who diagnosed the concussions. Like, look, I got into the club doctor and I'm like, I don't know if you guys have realised, but uh, but uh, Cruiser keeps talking about where the pokies are. <laughs> this guy's off his fucking nut. <laughs> um, you'd think that the Bombers would be smarting after last week and would easily account for the Blues in this game. I thought Essendon, but- were, I thought Essendon were good against the Bulldogs and I think they'll play very well and they will beat Carlton. But in the wet earlier in this year, Carlton got up. Uh, it's meant to be fucking cold in Melbourne this weekend, and I know because I'm flying in. <sighs> Do I fucking got in a limb? I haven't done a big lock of the week for a while. Nah, it's got to be the Bombers. I'm sticking with them. Up at the Gabba, the Brisbane Lions take on the Western Bulldogs in a very important must-win game for the Dogs. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously a danger game after such a huge and impressive win against uh, the Bombers. Like, this is the one that if we drop this, then the season's over. Well, I guess that's every game from now on. But um, you'd hope that the Bulldogs will go up there and uh, bring their A game. But, you know, a lot of light to about... Like, let's hope that Brisbane... They've put their queue in the rack at this point. That's what I would like to hope. I hope that Brisbane have, you know, all those great games where they showed heaps of fight and, you know, when they all play the, their best and they're really, really attacking. Let's hope those days are a little bit behind them. You can have one towards, <laughs> have one towards the last round, but let's not have one now and fuck up my year. You know what I mean? Yeah, let's not, let's not go fucking crazy. Jesus, uh, I'm going to pick the Bulldogs in that game. 
The mighty Shinboners taking on traditional vertical striped foes Collingwood at Etihad Stadium on Saturday evening. Well, this is a hard game to pick, really. The Kangaroos coming off an inspiring win down in Tassie, taking on a not-quite-backs-against-the-wall pies. Then are there backs against... After a draw, your back is neither away from the wall nor against the wall. No, you're it's literally... Kind of nowhere. You're literally sitting on the fence. Yeah, sitting on the fence. Um... Shit, man. I don't know. Collingwood have actually been in pretty good form of late. North, though, what have what? Look, what have North got to play for? What is the point in winning this game, Brad? Just fucking put your young players out for the next four weeks. Get a draft pick. Get some games in the youngsters. Uh, I'm going to pick Collingwood. Yeah, I'm going to say Collingwood as well. They'll, uh, but you know, this is also Daniel Wells playing against his old team. Um, I reckon he'll be pretty inspired to have a huge game. Penis Stadium, the Mighty Dockers take on the Gold Coast Suns in the Who Gives a Fuck game of the round. Oh, like who, literally who cares? I'm going to say, I'm going to say this will be uh, a fucking, uh, who cares? A massive. Who cares? Should we not even pick it? You know what? We don't, we care so little. We're not even going to fucking pick. We're just going to say, who cares? Yeah, literally <laughs> a, huge, Sunday. a huge who cares. Who gives a shit? Not even worth our breath. How's <laughs> <laughs> that, Western Australian listeners? You still love us? We've trashed West Coast all episode. We're not even going to give a tip for a game which you are probably favourites to win, but we won't even say it. Yeah. <laughs> Literally, who cares about that game? That's the first. That's <laughs> definitely the first of this season's who could give a fuck games. Like, towards the end of the season, there's always a couple of who could give a fuck games, but this is like a massive who could give a fuck game. There is just nothing on the line, nothing to be achieved, no result that comes out of this game that really makes Frio or Gold Coast fans particularly happy in any way. This could not give a shit game. No subplots, no bylines, no rivalries. I mean, no trashing in the media. There is nothing of interest in this game. I mean, there's no amount that Frio could beat Gold Coast by uh, that Rocket lost his job. I mean, he'll probably lose it at the end of the year, but he's not going to lose it a couple of weeks out, you don't think. Like, Ross Lyon's done fine. Like, you know, the worst, the best story that could come out of a game like this is a massive injury, and you don't want that. So let's no. just not care about this game. Let's just not play it. Don't play yeah. it. Give them a weekend off. <laughs> Give them a bye. We should be able to nominate buys for games that no one gives a fuck about. On Sunday, the Saints host the Eagles at Etihad Stadium. Must win game for the Saints. Uh, Eagles don't have to win, but they, they, they should. But yeah, look, after Revolt's announcement, knowing that we can't fucking miss a beat for the next four weeks, we have to win this game. I'm going to pick the Saints. Do you think that the spiritual connection that Nick Rewalt, um, you know, obviously has for the St Kilda Saints, uh, obviously you've got, you know, you've got the Prittus Sam Mitchell connection at the West Coast Eagles, obviously Sam Mitchell, <laughs> one of their you know, most beloved players at West Club Coast. Legends. Do you think that West Coast will lift, you know, obviously for uh, the Sam Mitchell I news? I don't know. Traditionally, St Kilda, we have not done well in milestone games, like for any of our past legends. So I don't know if that will be any extra motivation. I mean, I don't even know if Nick Revolt's in line to to play. Um, I did get a text from our mate Amit giving me the rundown of Nick's farewell tour so I could at least make it down for his his last home game and then the last game in Richmond. So I don't know. I don't know. I think the important thing for St Kilda 
the young players now is to show, look, you know, Montagna might be gone at the end of the year. Gilbert's out for the rest of the year. Nick Revolt is retiring. They need to stand up and show that this club is going places. And that should have begun on Saturday with an inspiring away from home win. Slight bit of mistake there in the last two minutes. Let's see if we can restart it again on Sunday. Um, I think that there's a little life left in St Kilda yet just for the... I don't, I'm not sure St Kilda are going to make the finals, but I think there's at least a little bit more life left in them. And I reckon they're going to lift for Rui this weekend. Plus, you know, it's in Victoria. So that's as good a reason not to pick West Coast as anything. So I'm going to say St Kilda as well. <laughs> Over at the MCG, uh, probably second only to the Sydney Cats game will be the game of the round, which will be the mighty Tigers taking on Hawthorne at the MCG. This will be a cracking, loud boisterous game this would be a good game to go to if i had a friend who was out of town and never been to the afl before this would be the game that i'd take them to yeah absolutely and hard to pick a winner because i mean richmond should win this but in the form that hawthorne are in at the moment you'd i reckon the hawthorne would fancy themselves to beat richmond you know i reckon there'd just be a bit of hawthorne that goes our experience and our sort of you know the fact that we've been here done that they'd fancy themselves up against you know this new team in town I'm going to pick uh, the Tigers, and that's my lock of the week. Uh, I think that teams are, oh, gee, it's one of those ones where it's like, it's hard. It's, look, I think there's just like, there's a storyline left in this season of Hawthorne. You know what? I'm just going to, I'm just going to roll the dice and I'm going to say, oh, fuck, this is a hard game to pick. Um, I'm going to say, no, I'm going to say Richmond. I think Richmond will win this. Yeah, they should. They should. And the last game is, of course, the showdown. Adelaide taking on Port Adelaide. The great thing about this is it's very likely we will see this game again in four weeks' time. Um, Adelaide coming off a get-out-of-jail. Oh, both of them actually coming out of get-out-of-jail wins. Who, if you had to split them, you'd say Adelaide had to travel. But Adelaide probably played better in the end. Fuck, I don't know. Um I'm going to say Port, just because I feel like I should pick a pick a roughie. Okay, for the sake of that the argument, I'll say Adelaide. But yes, like you said, it's one of those games that we may see you know a showdown like this in the finals, and uh, it'd be exciting to this game will then you know be we'll look back on it through different eyes. But who knows? Anyway, you have to go, Charlie. So let's uh, yeah uh, let's finish this up. Uh, this podcast is called uh, Two Guys One Cup. It's an AFL podcast. We have another podcast. Uh, called Tofop, which is doing some shows at the uh, Sydney Opera House. And we are doing a little GoFundMe, which you can find on our Facebook page uh, to see if our producer, Mike Hal, uh, can fly over to see the shows at the Sydney Opera House. Uh, if you listen to our other podcast, Tofop, you can find out all the details about that. But um, it's a GoFundMe page. And look, we know, we know Hawthorne supporters have had a lot Lately, a lot to be excited about. Uh, but Mike Hal is only a recent Hawthorne supporter, so don't hold that against him. He's a lovely guy. He's the reason why this show uh, continues to happen every week, even though we don't actually watch any football every now and, and again. And we're never in even the same countries. <laughs> <laughs> so if you could uh, go to gofundme.com forward slash tofop dash Michael, Mike Hal, um, and just throw in whatever you can afford. That would, that would make a, a young boy's dream come true. Um, you can check out our website, tofop.com, for this and other fantastic podcasts wherever we're online on Facebook and Twitter. Will, do you have any live shows to promote? Uh, you know, we'll just mention that we're, yeah, so the Tofop's live at the Sydney Opera House, uh, so they're selling pretty quick. So if you want to come and see uh, 
our other podcasts live. And yes, there's going to be something we do with the guys from the Junk Time AFL podcast uh, grand final weekend, uh, which we'll give you more details about uh, when we know those details. Yeah, okay. So I say play on not 15. Well, we are just-